Welcome to Every Business Counts, the podcast which shows how money and numbers can support you to build a sustainable business. My name is Lynn Mann and I'm an accountant and a coach with over 20 years experience. In each episode, I will be exploring how money and your business numbers can help amplify the impact you want to make by focusing on purpose and profit. Because every business counts. Hello and welcome to another episode of Every Business Counts. My name's Lynn Mann and today I have with me Nicole Posner. Nicole is a workplace mediator, communication and conflict consultant and coach specializing in the psychology of conflict. She works with leaders, teams and individuals to prevent, manage and address conflict and to foster better communication in the workplace and beyond. She does this through coaching, mediation, workshops, and webinars. Nicole also writes articles for publications such as Thrive Global, HR Magazine, SME Magazine, and Coach Magazine. She was shortlisted as a finalist in the Workplace Mediator of the Year for the National Mediation Awards in 2020. You can find out more about Nicole at um, np-mediation.london. Recently, Nicole had a webinar on challenging leadership conversations in the workplace. If you would like to have a copy of this webinar, she's happy to send it through to you. Just email her on nicole at posner.london. So Nicole, thank you and welcome. I'm glad to have you here today. Hello, Lynn, and thank you for having me on your show. Pleasure to be here. Great. Well, it's lovely to speak to you. And for me, I think um, difficult conversations, there are things we avoid and there are things that have a cost. So I'm really going to be interested to see what you share about them. And it's not just with, you know, it, it, it impacts every part of our life. So the first question I have for you is, what would be classed as a difficult conversation and why do we avoid them? Very good first question, Lynn. So a difficult conversation is really um, any conversation that we anticipate is not going to be straightforward, where we know we might feel challenged because we can't articulate ourselves well, we don't feel confident, we might lack skills, they cause us anxiety, they keep us up all night when we keep replaying them in our head, they cause us concern, we might anticipate kickback. Uh, where we feel there's a great deal at stake for us if the conversation doesn't go well and and worrying about the outcome if it doesn't. So why do we avoid them? Well, there are four main reasons why we avoid them. Um, It's fear, lack of skills, predetermined beliefs or assumptions, and lack of time. So if we work through each one of those, the first one are fears. So we have these fears where we anticipate that the conversation won't go well because perhaps in the past they didn't go well. Uh, Then often we're afraid of pushback or kickback because uh, we don't know how to respond to a situation. We might be afraid of confrontation ourselves, so that's naturally something that we, we want to avoid. We might be afraid of rocking the boat. We might have what I call our star performer who's a bully. 
but we're afraid of having that conversation because we're 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 scared of of that star performer having their their feathers ruffled and giving us pushback. We're afraid of speaking up if there's no psychological safety within the organisation. We're afraid of being judged or being perceived as a weak leader if we don't uh, manage a conversation competently. Um, And then we have a fear or an anxiety that we might mess it up and, and it will all come out wrong or the outcome won't go well. Uh, so those are fears, the main fears. And there is skills, lack of skills. So uh, this is quite a common one, um, particularly if leaders um, who are promoted without training in people management. Um, so you find people sometimes get flustered and tongue-tied because they're not articulate or they're not fluid with words and, and the person they're having a conversation with is. Um, people, uh, leaders struggle to get their point across, so they end up shouting to be heard. Um, there might be difficult conversations around sensitive subjects like uh, redundancy, and people feel that they don't have the right tools in their toolbox to deliver the news sensitively or, or compassionately. Um, then there is always a a lack of confidence. So that's about our own personal confidence in ourselves. Um, And then, as I mentioned before, people who are um, promoted well for doing a job well, um, but they're not upskilled, which is really a very common one in a lot of mediations that I do. You find um, leaders who have been brilliant at the job they were doing before, but put them in the people management role and, and they're absolutely rubbish at it. You know, they and and it's that old saying, isn't it, that people leave managers, not company, not businesses. Uh, because they're the often it's that sort of the buffer, the middle, the middleman, the manage the manager that um, cause more problems. Um, and then if we move on to beliefs, um, there's a belief, a predetermined belief that um, other people will sort it out amongst themselves, leave them to get on with it, you don't need to get involved. There's a belief that um, it's a waste of time because no one ever listens, so why do it again? Uh, there's a belief that, well, you haven't managed a situation well in the past, so what's the point of messing it up again? There's a belief that um, you may well make it worse because you don't have the skills uh, or or people management skills aren't your greatest strength. And on that point, uh, knowing that they're not your greatest strength, you then are um, embarrassed to ask for support or further training because you feel a bit embarrassed because you're at the top of your game, you're top of the leadership ladder and people will view you as... um, uh, a weak leader and that your leadership uh, skills might be put into question there's a belief that your reputation will be put on the line um, you're worried that it will damage relationships if you mess it up and then the last point is time um, you end up spending more time on it than you would have done so um, you avoid it because you don't have enough time. And that, again, always creates um, another cost, spending more time on it afterwards.
So those are the main reasons why people avoid those difficult conversations. That's really interesting when you're going through that. So fear is a big part of it. And it's that um, when we bring up those fears, we're actually making a lot of assumptions, assumptions about um, what's going to happen, what the conversation is, what the other person is going to say and things like that. And then when you kind of go into skills, that kind of almost as well, if you don't fear, you feel you've got those skills, again, you're assuming that you're not able to to deal with it. So it's it's interesting how when we start to make assumptions about what's going to go on, what's going to happen, how it really undermines our ability to, to have these conversations. And I heard a case recently where, um, I read it in a book actually, where somebody had um, been originally wanting to sell her business and she was going to sell it to one of her employees and then partway through the negotiations decided actually it wasn't what she wanted to do anymore and was dreading having this conversation and she was working with a coach and and actually the coach persuaded her to she had to have the conversation took some time to to kind of think about what she was going to say and the conversation was so not what she expected because it was actually a relief off the other person's shoulders. You know, they actually were much more comfortable staying where they were and they renegotiated a different role, but it, it ended out working best for both, both people. And I think that's the thing we forget because we're coming from that place of fear. We're coming from that place of, doubting ourselves and the situation and really judging it I mean that that's a, a very valid point um, and something that I always say to uh, clients I work with um, I always say leave assumptions at the door mm. um, and always seek clarity and clarification um, but the problem is when when you're in fear that fear is is very powerful and unless you have the tools to change your mindset and change the thought process um, there is always that block that obstacle which is more powerful than you know the as you said that's also what I said actually seeking clarification and, yeah. and and wondering pushing pushing through Absolutely. And that's that's a really great point to make is is that always seek clarity and leave this, um, the assumptions at the door. But as you say, when we're in fear, it's difficult to do that. So it's learning to recognize that fear and then allow ourselves, as you said, to use tools to get out of it. So absolutely. Thank you for that. Um, so. Where might we as business owners encounter <clears throat> difficult conversations? Because I've said before that, you know, it impacts every part of our life. But if we focus for a moment just on the, the business, um, where do you normally see them and where else might we find them? Oh, they're everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'll just sort of give you the, the sort of most common the common ones that or frequent the ones I come across most frequently. Um, so as a business owner or a leader, um, addressing challenging employees or bullying behaviors, 
um, the feedback conversations. Now, remember, feedback can go sideways with with um, colleagues. It can go uh, downwards with direct reports, and it can also go upwards, managing up with you know your your own boss. Um, and each of those different feedback conversations can bring up different issues. So that's a really big, a big one feedback. Um, then there is, um, I see this one a lot, the star performer who has a rather uh, sort of um, uh, challenging uh, style. So they ruffle everyone's feathers, they cause friction and chaos amongst their teams. But and as a leader or a boss, you don't want to rock the boat because you need them. And so that, that's a really interesting one. And what I always share with, with my clients is you can have the difficult conversation and keep them happy by, by approaching the conversation with the right tools and understanding one does not mean the other. So just because you you need to address it doesn't mean that they're going to have their feathers ruffled. Um, then you have um, the sort of high stake conversations where you might have um, departments merging or you might have a new department or you might have um, a, a sort of company merger. So you have heads of department who are suddenly faced with a head of another department that's merging and there's this sort of push-pull between them, sort of fighting to be heard and fighting to keep pole position and fighting to um, stand out as, you know, the, the one that knows it all. And that creates friction. So it's about how to approach those conversations. So you you both... Can get your point across you can both be who you need to be without feeling threatened by the other and understanding each other's perspective so that's if you need to have conversations with your your sort of new opposite um, and also if you are a leader managing those two kinds of, of situations um, then there is sort of handling complaints complaints from team members about each other and this is quite a common one that crops up because a lot of um, team members will, will come to their manager or their leader and make a complaint about someone, but say, well, I don't want to raise a formal complaint. I don't want to take this to grievance, but, you know, I, I just want you to, to sort this out. But the question is, well, OK, but what do you want me to do with this information? Because... They, what they come and they sort of want you to deal with it anonymously. I don't want you to tell, you know, Jane that I said this. So as a manager, you have to be clear, okay, well, you've brought me this information. You don't want me to share that you've, you know, that it was you that said it. So what do you want me to do with it? And a lot of managers sort of hold on to this information, go and tell John that someone has raised this complaint about them. Um, but won't tell them who. And what happens is is two things. One, John then sort of gets very frustrated and, and angry because 
someone's made a complaint against him. And then he goes on this sort of wild goose chase trying to find out who it was that said it and then creates more disruption and chaos. And then I actually did a mediation last week on this very subject where someone had raised a complaint but wanted to remain anonymous. So the person in question literally went around the entire department quizzing every single person. No one had the suppose, the confidence to say, yes, it was me. And deny, everyone denied it. And so she went back to her boss and said, you know, you're lying. No one has said anything about, no, you know, no one, no one's admit, no one said it. You've made it up. So when you have those conversations, you have to be clear when someone brings you a complaint, complaint, what do you want me to do with it? If you don't, if you want it to remain anonymous, then, you know, you, you, you've got to accept that uh, I can't really push this forward. There's, it's not fair. Um, then there are what I call critical leadership conversations, the, the ones that perhaps many leaders have had during the last six months, you know, during lockdown, the redundancy conversations, delivering bad news, knowing how to check in with teams, you know, even if there's no information to share. Um, and, you know, being a leader, when you feel insecure and lonely in your own darkest hours, that you've still got to show up as a leader. You know, those di- those conversations are also very difficult. Um, you have leaders or sort of heads of department or, or business owners um, who have shared responsibility for the business. If they can't agree on, on things on the way forward within the business, that creates friction, it, causes an uncertainty and leaks out into all areas of relationships within within a business. And then often toxic behaviours are replicated because they see their bosses or their leaders doing it. So they think that's okay to speak to each other like that. And then another type of difficult conversation are personal challenges with your own tough conversations. So it might be with clients if There are issues with projects being delivered late. Um, If there are colleagues who trigger you and you've got to approach those conversations um, or even conversations with suppliers regarding late payment. Um, So those are sort of a handful of difficult types of conversations within businesses. (laughs) <laughs> a, a huge handful. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I think I went off on quite a tangent there. No, no, no. But absolutely, but it's it's amazing to actually to to listen to those and appreciate that there are so many different circumstances where you can have um, where difficult conversations can arise, and the thing that was going through my mind as you were talking about this was actually how almost not having these conversations undermines the trust between people. Because at the end of the day, we all can sense, or a lot of us can sense what's going on. And you're then creating an atmosphere where there's a, a level of uncertainty people aren't trusting and they start questioning what is being said and I know I've been you know I've worked in corporate I've been through um, many restructures um, redundancy programs and and I've had 
to restructure and reorganize departments myself. And it is difficult having those conversations when you're you're telling people. But no, the, the one thing that always jumped out at me was it was better to ha- to actually communicate than not communicate because I saw early on, so I'd only been working for a couple of years when I went through the first kind of restructure. And I could see the fear that was going on because people were scared of losing their jobs. They didn't know what was happening. And when management doesn't communicate and business owners don't communicate, then productivity goes down you know, people become stressed. It brings back in the fear that you talked about earlier. And so there's a huge impact there just from what I've seen in my kind of experiences. And I think this is where it was very true during and has been over Mm. the last six months in lockdown because when people don't know what's going on, they make up their own stories. Yeah. You know, maybe this goes back to what we were talking about before about assumptions people make up you know in their head well they haven't and and clients I worked with you know during certainly throughout the the last six months during the crisis um they used a lot of them used to say to me you know I've got nothing to say you know I used to encourage them to just have weekly check-ins or daily whatever they chose to do and sometimes they say, well, you know, I've got nothing new to say. So, you know, what, what should I say? And I always say, it doesn't matter. Just check in, just have a conversation and say, I don't have any news. And at least then people won't sort of sit there and, and join the dots and imagine the worst or imagine whatever might be going on. So, that's Yeah, that's a really powerful um thing to share because yes there's been so much going on with the the current pandemic and impacting so many different businesses and the challenges with people working from all of a sudden from home which has never happened before um but just as you say having that conversation even if there is nothing to say so at least you're showing up and showing your face that must be much more reassuring because I love your point of we start to create stories because we do, we all do it. You know, you hear some information and then you don't hear anything else. And you're like, well, based on your experience in the past, you start to join those dots. And instead of creating this nice, pretty picture, you're probably creating some sort of huge squiggle that makes absolutely no sense at all. (laughs) But that's what your mind says. (laughs) That's right. Absolutely. And, and, you know, again, that's that fear, isn't it? You know, totally. very powerful fear so yeah 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 so we've kind of touched on but just by the when we talk I was talking here with you about the the loss of trust um really can be a big cost to the business but what other costs have you seen when you've been um working with businesses as occurring as the result of not having these conversations well there are quite a few costs (laughs) (laughs) hidden costs, emotional costs. Mm. Um, so if we start with the sort of employees, so you, what you might find is key members, valuable members of your teams might start to walk and think, you know, this is not a place or a culture I want to work in. Uh, you start to see a high turnover of staff. Um 
you start to see or feel a loss of respect as a leader for not stepping up mm. as a leader who takes action. Uh, it impacts relationship, relationships with clients because they start questioning why is this, why is there, for example, a continuous change in management on my account? You know, what, what's going on there within the organization? What, what's going on with you? Uh, there's the emotional well being on not just you, but your teams and, and the stress and impact from that. Um, you have discord and silent resentment bubbling away onto the surface, um, which sort of creates this sort of disharmony amongst the ranks. Um, you see an increase in absence-related sickness, um, and then there are knock-on costs from that, which are tangible costs of replacing staff, covering for other for the team members when when they're not there um, increase in which creates more stress and an increase in workload um, and then there's increased when well, sorry their issues escalate to crisis points so you spend more time on them than the original issue um, your reputation is at stake for not managing the situation um, or messing it up and then you can also create road creates roadblocks on projects because teams can't work well together anymore. They can't collaborate. Productivity goes down and ultimately affects your bottom line. Um, yeah, and I I think it's what's interesting to highlight there is that we do need to look at these in different ways. In that there are the hidden cost. It is that kind of the decrease in productivity. The the kind of the toxic behaviors that you mentioned earlier and all those kind of things where um things that actually often we there is no true value put on them yet they're also impacting the bottom line and then there's the cost that we can see so if we people do leave and we have to replace them um if suppliers get um annoyed with us and we have to and give them refunds if we're not chasing debts we're not getting the cash in all those kind of things where we can actually see an impact in the numbers but all but it's being aware of both of those is That's hugely right. important um and underpinning all of that goes back to the emotional cost which um you touched on I think that's a really big issue because it's something that almost gets swept swept away. under yes mm. brushed under the carpet and I think a lot of leaders don't want to acknowledge it because they're sometimes so focused on keeping the ship afloat mm. you know for, you know looking at number number crunching and productivity and delivery of of service or of product or whatever type of business they're in that the emotional cost sort of becomes secondary yeah they don't do you know you pointed out they don't actually recognize that the sort of hidden costs affect the tangible costs totally absolutely so if they um if they actually took that I'm going to use the word courage because mm -hmm. it it is you do have to be courageous to have these conversations 100 percent um so if you draw on that courage and have these conversations what 
do you see, we, we've talked about the cost, but actually what are some quick benefits that we can see? You, you must see them coming out of the mediations. Yeah, but I think, you know, the first thing in terms of your teams, you sort of have happy and productive teams. So, you know, when there's not discord and, and unhappiness amongst the ranks, people, teams are more productive. You know, that that's, makes total sense. Then there's loyalty. So when um, teams feel that they're valued and supportive, then in return, you'll get loyalty back from them and they will go above and beyond for you. You know, they, they yeah. will give they will give from a good place um, so they won't be resentful of it if, you know, you say, look, we need to put in some extra hours or we need to club together, guys. You know, they will do that, you know, with a good heart. Um, ultimately, you'll have happier clients if you're delivering um, and your teams will work well together. They'll, they'll communicate better you will be able to spend more time on important issues of actually running your business um, and your business will will thrive and which will be reflected in your bottom line. Yeah, and, and it all does flow through. And I think one of the things that, um, you know, we've talked about, it's about being conversation, about communication. And actually a big part of that is listening, even when you were talking about, you know, showing up um, and just talking to people, you know, as you say, within the coronavirus, people are very stressed. Actually having somebody that will listen to you, whether they say nothing, is hugely important. And just talking through, particularly when you were talking about customers, you know, it really brought home to me, actually, that's a lot of about listening and understanding where they're at, what's going on, as well as communicating. Um, so how do we then prepare ourselves to have these difficult conversations? Well, there are a few little, few little tools. Um, first one is when you prepare for a difficult conversation, always, I go, I always say, go into a happy place, which might okay. sound might sound like a strange thing but you know when you if you think about it when you're feeling rubbish or low or stressed or whatever you know you're never going to you're never going to approach the conversation with the right mindset so how on earth do you go to happy when you're feeling rubbish well everyone has a little trick up their sleeve some people listen to uplifting music some people go for a walk some people um, do some exercise. There's always something that we all have something that that changes our mindset for us. So it's a question of finding that, acknowledging what that is. And one day you might suddenly think, oh yeah, that made me feel great. Whatever it is, remember that. So when you have to approach a difficult conversation, you know, bring that sort of feeling of I feel better about myself before you approach the conversation. Um, always know the objective you want to achieve before you start the conversation. Um, like we were talking about before, be curious, ask questions, don't make assumptions. Mm. Um, don't be afraid to show vulnerability because when you're having difficult conversations, vulnerability creates connection. And when people feel connected, it has a much more powerful message. 
Um, when you sh- when you show up as um, a leader wearing their armor plating, you there's sort of this sort of creates this barrier, mm-hmm. this mistrust. Yet when people share, you know, I, I know this is difficult. It's difficult for me. I'm I'm struggling as well. Or however you want to position it, people think okay, they're not this sort of leader you know up there on a pedestal they're just we're all the same at the end of the day so to show some vulnerability and anyone who knows um Brené Brown's work um dare greatly I would say um courageous conversations um anticipate feedback and and prepare your responses is always a good one be prepared Listening doesn't mean agreeing. The point you just made before, people want to be heard. You know, they just want to often be heard, which can make the difference. And I use a little sort of um, acronym here or analogy, I'm not sure which right word is, of, of traffic lights. So when you start a conversation, never expect the other person to listen when they're raging. Um, so, you know, when someone, you can see somebody in that sort of, Hence, they just want to shout at you and get their point across. Um, just listen to them because that brings attention down. And when they feel heard, you move on to amber. And when they're in amber, that means that they're actually, they felt heard. They're then in, the, in a, a state of mind where, okay, you've heard me. Now, you know, perhaps we can open the dialogue up to a two-way conversation rather than them just shouting at you and you know having the next word about to come out of your mouth rather than them you know ready to listen to you so amber is when they're sort of ready to listen to you and then green is okay ready to go now you're in a place to start have a proper two-way dialogue so that's that's a good one to remember um and then there is um another little one that i use um when when leaders are um, need to have a difficult conversation um, and it's a little acronym called heart so the first one the h stands for um, humility um, the e stands for empathy the a stands for authenticity the r stands for respect and this t stands for transparency so have a conversation with a heart. Oh. And yeah, those are those are mine. Yeah. I I love that. So you've given some really useful tools there. And you know, starting from the actually um be in that happy place, because you're you're so right. Where we come from when we have these conversations can make a huge difference. So if we can have released our own tensions, then we're in a much better place particularly going into your traffic light, because actually we need to be in a place to be able to to listen when we're on red first and to listen with an open mind before we move down exactly. into those other levels. So being in that happy place is really going to help doing that. And then the heart and that, that whole thing that you talked about before as well about being vulnerable, because that is hard for a leader because you're brought up to be leaders have to be strong leaders have to lead by example example exactly. yeah but we're not taught to bring in the softer side to to actually um 
to show that vulnerability, to show that we're, we're human as well at the end of the day. And, That's right. And I we think call that, that sorry, no, okay. I call that the human side of leadership. Yeah. that's you know that sorry to no 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 but i think that's flow. no but that's it's very true it is about that that human side and it's it's about that connecting with people because we at the end of the day we want to be get the most out of um we want everybody to reach their potential we want exactly the organization, the company to, to reach its potential. And therefore, by having everybody communicating openly. And um, you mentioned earlier on about having that, people having to feel psychologically safe. And that is so important because without that, communication won't, won't happen. And, and interestingly for me, the psychological safety is, is something that I come across a lot because of when it's talking about money, people have to want to to feel that psychological safety. But it's the same in those difficult conversations because people won't open up unless they feel safe. So you must see that a lot in mediations that actually, um, and again, I'm making an assumption here, so you can correct me if I'm wrong. Sure. I'm assuming the mediation is much more difficult if there's not that feeling of safety. Oh, gosh, definitely. And I think, you know, what we were saying before, you lead by example, mm -hmm. um, and which is exactly the point you're making, that if you, you know, you, you need to um, be ambassadors for the type of um, conversations that you expect or you, you encourage from others. So, you know, for people to be able to speak up and, and say what they need to say respectfully, of course, uh, you have to show that it's okay to and you know I one example of that there was um, there's actually a story I read it wasn't a personal experience where um, a, a leader of an organization um, she was quite abrasive with her teams and as a result you know they they never wanted to be honest with her and there was a big project that was on the line and all of her teams felt that um, it was a it, it was the wrong decision. And they basically were, were fearful of giving their opinion and speaking up and telling her the, the honest truth. And she the project basically fell flat on its face. They lost millions of pounds on it. And afterwards, they they had a. a conversation about you know why why they felt it had had gone that way a debrief and a few of them you know the, the leader said you know I wish someone had had told me their their thoughts and they said well we just didn't think you would listen we were a bit scared to say it and she she goes on to say that you know this was the most valuable lesson she learned and such a costly one because she hadn't created that environment where people felt psychologically safe to speak up. Yeah. Um, so, um, and also going back to that, you know, you've got to be a leader and, and wear your armor plating. Um, it, 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 we always say people wear armor plating, but it creates its own barriers as well. So it's, it's showing vulnerability throws that away that throws those thoughts away yeah it's giving the tin man a heart yes exactly i like that, <laughs> I like that. 
It's all coming to full circle, this heart business. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I love that. I might use that, actually. <laughs> it was it was just what yeah what came into head of my head as you were talking and it's it it is it's that removing that armor plating and growing that heart um but going back to the the psychological safety so i hope you feel that you're safe enough to share for the last question <laughs> uh, so what experiences have you had or stories you <clears throat> learned as a child influenced how you look at money I actually had to go quite deep on this one. It was very interesting. Okay. Um, so what I felt when, when I started digging deep was money, when we growing up, you know, we, we had quite a middle class upbringing. So, you know, we were very fortunate that money was, was never, wasn't a problem. Um, but money was something we never talked about. Mm. And my father worked very hard. He had a very successful business. And it got to a point probably when I was in my early 20s. So we're going back quite a few years now. Uh, <laughs> no. he, uh, no. he sold the business. He had um, a very successful property business. He sold the business um, to an Australian company. And part of the payment of the business was in... Um, shares in the Australian company so it wasn't a complete cash sale right um, anyway the the Australian property market crashed soon afterwards mm. and and the shares were worth nothing and suddenly from being this very successful businessman you know they they were not in the same financial bracket as they were before but because money was something that was never really discussed within the family this then created a, a, a barrier and a disconnect and became a, a block in the way right. we communicated because um, when, when there wasn't the same amount of money and freedom and everything it represented, um, there, were, there was this need for difficult conversations. Again, mm. we've gone full circle. Yeah, totally. Um, which we... We could never have it. My father found it very difficult to talk about it because he was a very proud man mm. and he felt ashamed and embarrassed. And that created its own sort of communication issues within within the whole family. And consequently, there were a lot of damaged relationships within the family unit because of it. Um, and it took quite a few years for that to to come out and, and for us to be able to talk about it because then money always became a barrier in our communication and, and, and our relationships. So um, that was a very interesting process of, of, of thinking, well, what does, what does money represented to me? And that, to me, it was always a sort of something we didn't talk about. And then when we did, it, it was a problem. It's really interesting listening through to your story because I think, yeah, culturally, money isn't something we talk about. But what you've highlighted so beautifully in your story that actually by not talking about it and by um, taking it all in ourselves personally, we can, and not having those difficult conversations, we can actually damage the relationships to those we're closest to absolutely and, yeah and really making it 
easier to have difficult conversations, whether it be about money, whether it be about what's going on in work, whatever it is, it's going back to being being vulnerable. And I think often there are, you, know, you talked about your, your father being a very proud man and feeling that shame. And, and that shame and guilt is, is such a huge emotion yes. when it comes to, to, I guess, money, when it comes to success, when it comes to power, when it comes to anything where we feel that we're maybe being seen um, not as we were before. Yes. Um, so thank you for sharing that story. And and I do love how you brought it full circle because it is a difficult conversation. So thank you for that, Nicole. And thank you for coming. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Lovely to chat with you. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to this episode of Every Business Counts. If you've enjoyed this episode, why not head over to our Facebook group, Every Business Counts, and share what you've enjoyed and your highlights. I look forward to sharing more with you next week. Bye for now.